News Talk ZB, this time 14 past nine. The Prime Minister is in the House. We have got questions flooding in uh, on the text machine. We've got calls flooding in. I'm going to start because I can, because um, I've got the microphone. Uh, so first of all, uh, Prime Minister, shall I turn on your mic? Oh, you're an old hand. There we go. Um, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. I think the nice last time we were talking, you were waiting to hear about the recovery of the bodies. We were. Oh, Fakari White Island. Doesn't that seem like an absolute age ago? But we were. We were waiting to hear that everyone was safe after that, that operation. That's and, right. And, of course, that, that, um, that is what happened. So uh, uh, an age ago, though. And now we're dealing with a global pandemic. pandemic. Mm. Let's start with the news of the week, and there's been quite a bit of it. David Clark going, was that after internal polling that said, look, he's really not an asset to the party at the no, moment? No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was after internal conversation, you know, and then... And, you know, politics, of course, being what it is, probably people would have a, a view that it's not like other workplaces, but it, but it can be. You know, we had a conversation, David and I, last, um, last week. We just talked about the fact that, um, that, you know, it was starting to, um, distract. He was as worried, um, uh, as any of us around his ability to keep a focus on COVID-19, given some of the commentary around his role. Uh, and then he came to the conclusion this week that it was a distraction and he, he decided that his, in his view, he needed to move on. And, and that was a view a, I agreed with. He yeah. must have had advice from others saying this is, this is not good. Well, well, look, you know, as you'd expect when you're going through something like that, and of course, when you're in a, a high profile role, you know, you do, we do talk to, um, people that we, that we have learnt from, people that you feel mentored by, people around you, of course, just like you would in any other, any other high profile role. But ultimately, you know, the call that David made, I think was one on behalf of the team, but also a view that the focus does need to be our response. And he was worried about anything that distracted or detracted from that. Does having Chris Hipkins take over the portfolio, already a very busy minister, indicate that there's going to be nothing substantial happening within the health sector until after the election? No, no, I wouldn't interpret it as um, such, although it is fair to say that the primary focus, obviously, within the health sector is the ongoing response to COVID-19. Um, but two things I think that sends a message around. Firstly, that it is not just a health response. It is requiring all of government. Uh, one of the reasons I felt Chris was well placed, he is our Minister for State Services. He understands well uh, uh, what's required to have all of our government agencies working well together. Um, he also has an operational ministry, so he's already used to making sure that we're using all the levers we have to get our response right on the ground. The third thing, though, is the other big piece of work we're underway at the moment is the health and disability sector review. Um, that we've already set up some of the systems to start that work going. And again, he's, he's well placed given his experience to help with that. When you say that the focus must be on COVID-19, I've always thought all the way through that it's been a massive overreaction when you look at mental health, when you look at cancer treatments, when you look at all the other um, health issues that we have in this country that have just been put on the back burner and said, it doesn't matter. Not on the back burner, though. The first thing I say is actually our ability to do all of those things well if we don't get the COVID response well takes a hit. As long as we actually, and as you've seen, I mean, the fact that we don't have any restrictions anymore means that actually our health system is able to focus on things like our cancer treatment and mental health care. 
So as long as we keep getting our COVID response right, then we can have the rest of our health system doing that. That's why it's a focus, because if we get it wrong, then we lose that ability. I have a number of questions from our texters on that, just Mm. on the news pertaining to the week. Um, America's Cup, do you still think we're going to get a return on investment for the money, given the schmozzles? Yeah, uh, look, our our focus has to be delivering a world-class America's Cup. How can we do that with no tourists? (laughs) Well, it it is not just, that is not visitor numbers are not just the only focus. But has been used as an example of how we get a return back and also our industries from these wealthy, high-spend um, individuals coming to the country is how we get a return. But also there is the ability, the, the fact that we have that coverage of New Zealand, the, the delay, of course, of when people will be able to fulfil their desire to come and visit us. Um, but we have to plan for the period in which we are not in the situation we're in now with border controls. And there is, yes, considerable uncertainty about when we will be at the time that we're delivering uh, the America's Cup, but I still think our focus has to be making sure that we deliver on what we've committed ourselves to and that we do it well. But if we can't do APEC, how can we do the America's Cup? Ah, well, I'm happy to explain that. So for, for APEC, it's uh, APEC really starts from the moment you start hosting. It's not just when Leaders Week occurs. So yes, that was scheduled for late 2021, but we have uh, a number of incoming uh, officials uh, and government public servants that come into any country hosting in the lead up. A huge amount of work goes in the lead up to any hosting. And there are a number of business events that sit around it as well. So it's not, we had to give that certainty that in the run up to the time at which we'd have Leaders Week, our expectation was that, you know, we wouldn't be clear on where every country's status was. And it was better just to commit to having a virtual event. Right. So they're not coming at all. Uh, no, no, it will be a virtual event. It, we may well be in the position that side events of some description, but for the main event, which is the Leaders Week, we're planning for a virtual event. Which leads me to the open letter of um, Peter Gluckman, or Sir Peter Gluckman, um, Helen Clark and Rob Fife. Unusual bedfellows, I think we all <laughs> agree. Um, but I don't believe they've released the report yet. I think they're previewing it. That's right. well, they're yep. basically an open letter to all and sundry, the public conversation needed, um, they put out to the media. Mm. Um we had very clear stages about how we were going to go into our domestic lockdown yep. and how we were going to get out of it. Yeah. That clarity doesn't seem to be there as far as I can see from the international lockdown. And look, not, nowhere in the globe, I think, do you see that level of clarity and carry mostly because actually this is at the moment a surging pandemic. So yes, we absolutely uh, need to think about the future. And, and what that will look like for New Zealand's borders. And we are doing that thinking. So, for instance, we are continuing to work in earnest on the possibility of that and the work required for a trans-Tasman opening. Uh, there are states uh, in uh, Australia that have the same status as us that are essentially within the community COVID-free. Uh, and so that work continues in earnest. We have to sort things like... How do you make sure that when you've got flights coming in that you don't have any transiting passengers who are intermingling with other passengers? How do you separate out your airports so those who have come from outside of one country aren't mingling with others? So all of that work is happening. What is what is the great unknown for countries that do have a greater presence of COVID, which is most countries, is what will it look like beyond vaccines? Will we have an effective treatment down the track? What's rapid testing looking like? Because that opens up a lot of opportunities. If you have the ability to rapidly test at an airport before someone enters your country, then that changes the game considerably too. So all of the planning we can do at the moment is based on the world's current status. 
But I think the world will be very different even in a few months' time with some of those advances. And we can be sure now that the quarantining and isolation is working because, you know, people must be so disappointing. Like, you think you've got assurances, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you're told mm. that, that these things are happening and Dr Bloomfield is told these things are happening. I'd be so annoyed with people. You well, just want to do it yourself. Yeah, you? I mean, and, and look, we've and we've now putting in place, and over the past two weeks, uh, of course, acted uh, decisively to try and work on all of those failings that we saw in the system. And so we're getting the level of reporting that's giving that extra confidence in the system that we need to give the public. And but, that's it, because I just felt so let down. Mm. You know, you and Dr. Bloomfield mm. had taken front and centre. I believed you when you said, I believed him when you said mm. everything was in place. Yeah. You believed it, <laughs> yes, probably. Yes, yes, yes. And look, you know, now our job is to make sure that what led to those errors is corrected. Yeah, but the, the thing that I think I also think we need to remember, we've got the equivalent of a small town in, in quarantine. It's a massive operation. And human behaviour exists. You know, in all of these facilities, we are dealing with humans um, and uh, you know, we're ultimately asking them to abide, uh, abide by very strict protocols to keep everyone safe. So we need to have the protections in place for when that doesn't happen because human behaviour is what it is. At least our security guards aren't bonking them like they're doing. It. Oh, yes. could, could be worse. <laughs> yes, I, my heart really goes out to Victoria at the moment. Mm. But also that demonstrates why we need a series of safety nets. Quarantine's one. Contact tracing is another. Testing in our community is another. Uh, we need every time something fails, you've got to have that protection at the next layer. Sure, but when you say your heart goes out to Victoria, nobody's died yet. You know, like they've oh. had some deaths, but in this current you know, resurgence of COVID, it's just that when I say that, I simply just the the, the, the difficulty, just the difficulty of managing a virus. It is incredibly tough. We'll go to the lines because there are loads of people standing by. Graham, good morning to you. Your question for the, oh, you might need your headphones on. Prime oh, Minister. forgive me. I better. <laughs> was it Graham? Was it? I want it's to, Graham. Graham, I want to be able to hear you. Forgive yes. me. Yeah. Yes, we've answered my question on the Blackman one. So here's my second. It is um, we've got fifty thousand um, tourist workers here in New Zealand who uh, are still here. Um, there's plenty of jobs that people are looking at on farms or whatever. A lot of mm. shortages. Why don't you think about giving uh, those 50,000, say, a two years uh, uh, visitors residency so that they can um, uh, then get out and work and help the economy to grow? Because they're all generally young people who have come here to work from various countries. They're active. They're looking to do stuff. And uh, they're, a, they're, a, they're a workforce that we could utilise. Yeah. And, and so... Great question. Look, there are um, a chunk of, of people who will be in the country who may have been, for instance, on working holiday and so on. Look, some of them uh, have decided that, and given the uh, instability of the global situation, some have decided that, they, that they'd rather go home. For others, you know, we are looking at redeployment um, opportunities as well. You know, for instance, horticulture has picked up a large number of, of workers who may have been stuck in the country, who may have been from, from offshore. Uh, and they've done that very well because, of course, horticulture, you know, our kiwifruit sector has been really booming. What we, what we need to do as well, and I'll speak generally about tourism, not just specifically those who, who may be, for instance, our working holiday um, our visa holders, Generally for tourism, what we've needed to do is find opportunities um, that are a good fit for that workforce, um, that uh, are going to pay a decent wage and are going to keep them in employment. And actually, Jobs for Nature, that program that we've set up is a really, uh, a really good example of where we can redeploy out of Rotorua, Queenstown, 
those who have been working sometimes in ecotourism uh, into jobs with conservation, you know, working to uh, working to clear tracks and support, you know, the, the actually ultimately what will be the future of our tourism industry as well, which is our conservation estate. So that work's already underway. How is that going, tourism industry going to survive, though? Yeah, and that's why we ha- we have to think about the longer term. In the short term, you know, you, you go down to Queenstown, there are plenty of Kiwis visiting down there at the moment. On the so weekends and in the school holidays, Monday to Friday. Oh, 60, like- so 60% of our tourism industry is supported by domestic tourism, the earns law. 70% of what they, the revenue that they get, their visitors, are New Zealanders. For um, the, the rest of the industry, they are pivoting towards that domestic. They are, of course, planning for Australia. And, and look, they should, because that is on our agenda. Um, but more generally, then it is some of the support mechanisms we put in have been about how do we keep those big tourism assets in a bit of a period of hiatus, the ones that are really key. So Whale Watch, for instance, 180,000 visitors to Kaikoura and 100,000 of them go to that and that, that visitor experience. So how do we keep that afloat um, uh, while we work on, on uh, bringing back our tourism numbers in the future? All right. Craig, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd like to know, I heard you stand up on television and you said that basically you were the only source of the truth and not to um, take notice of what was on social media and that kind of thing. How can we... I was quite quite that blunt, but... Yeah, well, (laughs) actually it was. Um, And how can we have confidence in you when many, many New Zealanders feel that you misled them and some would even say lie to them over the tens of thousands of deaths that were going to happen. Um, how can we have confidence of you bringing us out of this when we see, we we believe we've been lied to. Um, you've stated you've, you guys are the only source of the truth and there's no foresight or ideas economically to bring us out. Okay, quite a loaded question there, but I'm happy happy to respond. Look, w- what you're referring to, I remember that time when, when we started talking about um, making sure that we were providing factual information about the COVID response. Uh, that was right at the height of my recollection is when we were either in lockdown or moving into it. It was at a time period where there was quite a bit of misinformation uh, online around uh, what the next moves by the government were going to be. To be and fair, so, there was conflicting information from Mike Bush's office and your office when we were trying to give people information because it was such a... The time when I said what the comments that were being oh. made here was just because there were things on social media about New Zealand moving into a different stage and, and what we were trying to do was say, look, you will hear about our next moves when it comes to alert levels from us. So and that I was what I was trying to... It was a yeah. bit chaotic at the beginning, even though I was cross, I well, can understand. Well, yeah, and yeah. online. So this was where people were panic buying. And so we were just saying, look, if you want to know about what's happening next with the government's move, please tune into us. So that was when I... That was what I was referring to, if I can recall correctly, at that okay, time. the tens of thousands. Tens... Did you need to use fear as a compliance method as a way of getting people to behave. And then I don't think it was about fear. Um, What I was sharing at that time was just quite frankly the modelling that we were receiving. And I don't think it's correct to say that we lied because tens of thousands of people didn't die. I think it's correct to say we acted on the information we had and prevented that from happening. And the economic plan for getting us out of here, we've lost 30% of our um, foreign earnings. How do we replace that? Jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, Training, (laughs) 
uh, has to be part of it. Of course, continuing uh, to grow and diversify our export markets, uh, which we continue to go even through COVID. We've started our negotiations with um, the UK uh, and making sure that we're continuing to support SMEs and all of the things that have already been challenges to them before even lockdown. But jobs will continue to be our focus. And that's where, you know, whether it's jobs for nature, the investment we're putting into infrastructure, which is unprecedented at present, is all about keeping our economy um, uh, growing. And thank God for farmers. Keeping us, keeping us sticking over. Absolutely. We'll take a short break. Back with the Prime Minister very shortly. News Talk ZB 9.30. Thanks, Malcolm. All right, we'll go straight back into your questions because there are lots of them. Uh, Alice, a very good morning to you. Hello. Talking about PPE, there is not enough PPE available, especially for aged care. Gloves are seriously short. Masks are seriously short. We usually order 40000 for a month. The suppliers are only able to supply us 4000 The DHB don't have enough. Masks, there are just not enough for us at all. Alice, I want I, to know no, what's happening. Alice, no need to, you don't, definitely don't need to disclose any personal information, but would you mind telling me your DHB? Wellington. Wellington. All right. Thank you. Um, that's something I'm going to take away because certainly that should not be the case. There's been considerable investment um, in PPE. No, as it's, you could... it's, no it's not. It's, I'm not saying you're not investing in it. I'm no, that's, saying that's there the... is none available in New Zealand and the closest time of delivery is November. By which stage, what are we going to do just normally? Well, I guess when it, this is my point. Certainly there's, uh, from the weekly dashboards, I've got nothing to suggest that we have that shortage. And so for me, I'll need to look at what's happening within your DHB. One of the positives, of course, is that we have a producer in Whanganui of surgical masks. My last recollection is they produce around 90,000 a day, both of surgical and N95s, which is Obviously, the grade that many of our hospitals you would use. I'm going to be rude and button, sorry. The most important for us is gloves. We use gloves for changing adults' diapers. Alice, I I absolutely hear you. And and that is crucial. And New Zealand don't make them. No, no, and I certainly wouldn't claim we do. But the point I'm making, Alice, is that there's nothing to suggest to me we've had that shortage, which is why I'm going to go and check what's happening in your DHB. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Alison. Who, 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 who will I contact to make sure that I can get some? Because I'm critically short and I'm do not you, the only facility in Wellington that is. Do you is. mind off air, Alice, if we get your details? I um, can put you back to Helen, well, Alice. I'll grab your details take... before I, I leave the studio, but I don't want you to have to reveal that on air, but I'll grab no, your details I before I leave. I wouldn't anyway. <laughs> yeah, good on you. No, I'll put you back to Helen, Alice, and she'll take your details. Josh, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, good morning, Jacinda as well. Morning. Um, good morning. Um, I've got a uh, travel business, it's outbound, so a lot of international work, mm. and the situation at the moment is that with all the cancellation and postponements of mm. refunds, it's an ongoing job mm. that uh, sort of is an unknown quantity when it's going to stop, so it could yes. be another year's work. Yeah. But the difficulty is there's zero income, mm. so Mm-mm. with the wage subsidy that finishes in sort of August, um, it's at a situation of all... You've got to get another job to support yourself and all the staff, but, but we still, still have to run a business. And clients. Yeah, you can't just walk away from it. So no, we've, ex- we've been having this conversation, uh, and 
Those agents are in an incredibly difficult spot because you're absolutely right. Um, you at the moment are dealing with cancellations and things that aren't generating revenue, but you've still got an obligation to customers. Uh, yep. Our Minister um, for Commerce um, and Consumer Affairs, Chris Farfoy, has been um, working on this. Actually, mostly we've been dealing with it via airlines because, you know, you are ultimately in large part having to deal with the consequences of what's happening with, with airline cancellations and so on. So we know it's an issue. We're still working on what that solution might be. But in the meantime, we're glad that the wage subsidy is at least providing a bit of support. But it's we know it needs to be needs to be worked yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah, our, our business is a lot more sort of involved with um, international suppliers where customers right. have holidays. So yeah. it's not just waiting. It's um, yep. it's around the obligation. So it's you can't yep. even daily. You've got you've daily working on it. So yeah, it yep. puts it a very difficult position with a lot of unknowns. Yes. Um, yep. So is there any plan, sort of ideas of dates when they're going to look at something? And We've been doing it as we speak, particularly because we know that there the, many of those um, travel agencies and consultancies and so on have been using the wage subsidy in the meantime. So that's something that we had a conversation only a couple of weeks ago about the need to try and find some resolution because it won't just be you that it's affected, it's your consumers, mm. your customers as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because it's trying to keep a business afloat and sort of a wage subsidy is not going to help. Oh, no. um, and, and it runs out. And into domestic yeah. um, is all very well, but if every show was trying to do the same, there's well, not yeah. opportunities one, there. Yeah, no, understood. So there's, I would say there's two phases. There's one working through with the customers you've had who have lost their plans and their packages and so on. When it comes to the future, though, we are in a huge period of uncertainty. Look, mm. we won't be seeing the borders opening. When I say borders opening, quarantine-free travel mm. um, for the, the near future. We're working as quickly as we can on options around quarantine-free travel for Australia. So that's yep. that's an opportunity that is on the horizon and that is real. Um, but then beyond that, we are, of course, having to plan around some great unknowns, treatment, um, vaccines, and, and rapid testing yep. will all play a role yep. and, and will be dependent on what our next moves are on the border. Thank you, Josh. Um, the shovel-ready projects, they're not actually shovel-ready, are they? Uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that at all. Queenstown, for instance, where I was last week and where we've put in a considerable investment for the town centre redevelopment and arterial routes, some of that work will be underway in three months. In three months. In three months. Well, that is that is actually what we would define as shovel ready when you've got a project to be able to go from saying, yep, green light to be putting, to be bringing the diggers in. That's pretty quick turnaround. Most of them, though, were looking to six to 12 months. Yes, and that in its, that too is considered very quick turnaround. So shovel shovel ready basically means you've already got the planning underway. You've already got um, uh, you the, know, consent the consent side. and so on. And where there haven't been consents, that's where we've just last night put through the uh, legislation to try and speed up that process for other projects too. Where is the? I still don't see where the money's coming from. How are we going to replace that that huge loss that tourism gave us? Gone now. So we're borrowing a lot of money. We have to to be able to look after people who've been affected by this. Yeah, a couple of, couple of things to say. Well, yes, um, uh, tourism, of 30%. course. Um, but uh, well, actually in terms of GDP, about five. Um, but then there's the flow-on effect from mm. that as well. Um, keep in mind, though, New Zealanders who go offshore spend billions. So we do have um, that domestic market, which, you know, it will not entirely replace, but will make will make a difference. Um, secondly, of course, infrastructure um, uh, 
investment into infrastructure does generate jobs and does create that wider spin-off um, a- as well. So well, it did we in the are, Great Depression. Will it do so again? It did. Sorry, it, it did, did in what, the Great what, Depression. Yeah, Will and it so do so again? That, yes, that, and that's why you see governments turn to infrastructure as a way through. Um, but what we have to think about is the areas where we've lost jobs. Who predominantly were in those groups, and and some of it will be a, a female workforce. So we do need to do more to try and encourage women into our trades in those areas where we see extra jobs being created. But we're also thinking about, you know, what do we what do we do to create jobs that will pick up those who have who have lost. So that's where Jobs for Nature, matching that tourism profile to that to that eco work, um, even our food and schools program. You know, those are jobs that fit around. You know, the hours that often parents with other roles and caregiving roles will also benefit from and there's thousands of jobs in that too so that's a lens we're looking at all of our investment with. News Talk ZB the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is with us through until 10 o'clock taking your questions it's 18 to 10 News Talk ZB it's a quarter to 10 Nicola a very good morning to you well, good morning. Good morning, and hello, and hello to Jacinda. Um, you're doing a great job. We're very happy with what you're doing. Oh, good morning. Thank you for that. <laughs> See, that's um, why did... that's why you come on the on the station <laughs> for, those, <laughs> for those fleeting moments, <laughs> Kerry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nicola. I got a, a text from someone saying, "Can you ask Jacinda why she bothers to come on ZB?" I was like, "Oh, how hurtful." Well, I can kind of understand that too. I stopped listening to some presenters, but anyway, not you, Kerry. No not names. <laughs> no, no names. Um, I just wondered um, if you got if the Labor government gets enough votes to govern alone, will you still invite the Greens to go into government with you? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I I never bank on every any particular outcome because. Uh, a that you know that feels a bit arrogant, but B, of course, it's an MMP environment, and I, I'll deal with what voters give me. Um, but you know, ultimately, I think I'd like to think that over the last period of time, you've seen how I work with both parties and my ability with, to work with with three at once. I'd I'd like to think, of course, I'd work successfully with two at once as well. So look, it all depends on what voters deliver, though. Right, right, okay. Um, and so, because I'm a bit concerned about this new policy of theirs with the universal payment, ah, ah. and I wondered what you think about it. Yeah, well, I've I've been pretty quick to point out it is not our policy. Um, we'll be delivering our own, and what we'll be campaigning on, you know, in the course of the election. But I also have been quick to point out that that looking at some of the details, I, I do think there are what I've called heroic assumptions in there. It is. It is. It is much easier to calculate the cost of things like tax transfers and, and giving money out to taxpayers. It is very hard to calculate revenue. Some of the assumptions I've made around, for instance, how much a wealth tax would generate, I think, is uh, is pretty ambitious. Um, I was useless mm. at maths at school. But if you are making more and more people less wealthy, doesn't that mean there'll be less ta- tax well, Of course, paid? they're looking to go into areas where there, there aren't currently forms of taxation in New Zealand. But they've made some assumptions that people's behaviour won't change mm. too much. Mm. And people's behaviour does change when you know tax causes people to to look at ways to uh, arrange their affairs in order not to pay it, which is just human behaviour. Um, but I think the bottom line is it's not ours, it's theirs. They'll campaign on it, we'll campaign on our own thing. New Zealanders will decide the formation of government and ultimately we'll pursue our own agenda in that government. But New Zealanders didn't really, that's a constant, because that's, you know, the grumpy uncle chose, really. 
everyone's vote has, depending on the makeup of, you know, the uh, out the other side of the election, you know, you can if you have uh, a smaller party and the numbers fall as they do. Yeah, they'll they'll have. You know, I wouldn't call it a disproportionate say though, because it's always. My view is it's always the party that wants to do the least that will be perceived to have the most power. But it's actually not that at all. It's just that the parties that want to keep progressing, if they're not able to convince everyone in the government to come with them, you know, that that will slow things down. Was the capital gains tax being stalled gutting for you in terms of... You know, we campaigned on that for years, you know, not just one election, multiple elections. We knew going in, New Zealand First weren't favourably predisposed to it. They weren't, but, you know, we agreed that we would take a good look at it when we were in government. That's what we did. I couldn't get everyone over the line, and my view was, you know, why keep flogging a dead horse? I had a view on it, but clearly the rest of New Zealand didn't share that view. Linda, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd just like to know, Jacinda, why the dairy workers can't come back. My t- my son is a dairy farmer in the bottom of South Island with yep. three young children. His worker had gone home for a holiday. He was in the air when ah. the borders got shut, and yes. he got turned back. He's lived in New Zealand for years. He's contributed yeah. to our economy, yep. and yet people that haven't contributed to our economy are allowed to come back in, and we are paying for their... Um, isolation. So why can't they come back? They can't get a worker. They have yep. tried employing New Zealanders. Yep. As soon as it gets cold and the hours get long, yep. they all just throw the towel in and go away. How is he supposed to cope next month with three young children? With carving. Yep. Mm. With good, carving. Good, good question. So what we've got at the border, obviously, at the moment is... Uh, a limited number of capacity. So we've got citizens and permanent residents who are coming in. And, and your question around why are others able to come in who haven't contributed, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not referring to the citizens and permanent residents because they obviously have that legal right to come into New Zealand and, and are essentially New, New Zealanders. The group you, I'm guessing you might be referring to are what we call the, the exemption group. They're, they number about, well, the last time I checked, it was in the hundreds, 250 a small number in amongst the twenty in amongst the twenty two thousand that have come back who have been citizens and residents. So they are ones that go through a very special process. They have to demonstrate that they have a particular um, skill that you can't find anywhere else. So there've been people who've come in and fixed sewage pipes and gas lines. Um, there were some in screen production. A number that came in that without them we would have lost hundreds and hundreds of jobs because they were critical to the production. So there is quite strict criteria for that group. The group you're talking about is the next, I would describe as the next cab off the rank. There are people who have been living in New Zealand who are what we'd call ordinarily resident here, who didn't have permanent resident status, but really New Zealand was their home. And so that's the next group we want to be able to allow to come back in. Is there a time frame on that? Well, it's, you know, we are growing our quarantine capacity, but at the moment New Zealanders are filling it very quickly because as the global situation uh, really declines and people, our Kiwis overseas, are losing their jobs and needing to come home. That is taking up quite a bit of capacity. And the student loan dodgers, are we picking them up at the border and making them cough up? We well, could do we, with the money. Yeah, so we pick them up. So uh, as soon as a, a New Zealander as soon as who's got a student loan, as soon as they go offshore, they start accumulating interest. Once they come back into the country, as soon as they register and work, we start deducting again. So instead of just 
grabbing it. We grab them at the moment they have income because that's when they can start paying it back. What about the moment they apply for a job seeker benefit? Well, we don't deduct once someone's on job seeker because their income is too low to be able to deduct. We deduct as soon as they. The threshold's still quite low. You don't. It doesn't have to be full time work, but as soon as you're in a position to be able to start paying it, we start deducting it. We'll take a short break. It is nine to ten. News Talk ZB, quick one from Furl. I'm a residential property developer. Can you please ask the Prime Minister when the RMA is going to have a big overhaul and remove red tape to help speed up projects? Good question. Well, while we've been working on um, an RMA reform agenda, we've actually expedited some of that. Just last night we put through a piece of legislation which allows certain projects, and we've already listed a few of them, um, to actually be expedited. And that's that's to help with our COVID recovery. Um, So those will uh, either have been listed already, and they include things like cycleways, there's a water project, there's housing projects in there, but also give us the ability through Ordering Council to add other projects as we go. What is the cost to our next generation going to be of picking up the pieces for protecting a few very old very health compromised obviously, people. I, obviously, I wouldn't characterise it in that way. You know, my view is, had we not done what we'd done, um, we would p- quite possibly be, you know, like other countries right now that are still in ongoing lockdowns, um, or or experiencing forms of social distancing which have impacts on business. So, no matter what approach you take, there was a cost. There is no one escapes cost free. I think in a, in a pandemic. We chose a particular path that I think means that because we went hard and early, we came out much faster than others. Uh, when it comes to the cost of that, though, um, going forward, uh, New Zealand's relative position going in means that we have been well placed. Our debt um, was low relative to other countries. Uh, and even with the investment we were making, it is still will remain low relative to other countries. You know, And the reason you do that is for a rainy day, and it is pouring and there's no point putting yourself in that position for a rainy day if you're not willing to put the umbrella up. So that's what we're doing. Um, I also am a child of the 80s and 90s. I'm aware that there's, you know, there's cost comes in many ways and there's social costs if you decide just to take an austerity approach. And I don't think that's the right approach for New Zealand. Very nice to have you on, Prime Minister. Thank you very much. Thank you for being open to taking the questions from uh, our listeners. Will we see you before the election? Oh, you'll hear me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we will. <laughs> we hope to see you before the election. We haven't seen Todd Muller yet, though. What does he look like? Big, tall guy, balding. He is like tall. He is very Stephen tall. Stephen Joyce's love child, if he'd had one with himself. Yes. All right. Uh, thank you very much for sending in your questions. I'm sorry, we didn't get time for um, all of you. There was no way we were going to do so. But hopefully you get another opportunity when the Prime Minister is our guest next time. News Talk ZB, it is three minutes to ten.